Greetings to you all. I trust that you're all doing well and you're really enjoying this series we are embarking on with regards to personal mastery God's way. And it has to be God's way because there's the way the world teaches personal mastery and there's the way God teaches personal mastery. Last week we examined the importance of facing reality, the importance of taking responsibility and also the importance of developing a growth mindset. This week, we will continue to answer the question, what do successful people do differently? Our focus this time is going to be on some of the visioneering themes, and I think I warned you about that. We tend to struggle with vision because of all the time we spend putting out fires. You know, when it comes to vision, that's one of the things people look for in leaders. Give me a long-range view of things, but many leaders struggle with vision because they're busy putting out fires, trying to solve this problem, trying to solve that problem. With the corporate work I do, I hear leaders crying out saying, I just want to be more strategic, but I'm always on the ground doing A, B, C, D. So everyone is operating one tier down. So visioneering is not something that comes easily to many people. In fact, quite recently, I was doing a particular workshop for a a particular exco. And it was so interesting because the MD said to the group of people, said, the reason why a lot of us don't focus on strategy is, could it be that we actually find it difficult? We actually find that process of looking into the future difficult. And I think it's so true. Many people struggle with it. It's so important to see that God has vision. God has goals, and so must we. And the good news in all of this is that God is a God of second chances, and that for some people, it's actually time to redream. It's time to dream again, to start from scratch and start dreaming again. So we covered three points last week, and I'm going to carry on with point number four. Successful people have a clear vision of a preferred future. Successful people have a clear vision of a preferred future. That's so important. I like what Paul J. Mayer said, whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act on, must inevitably come to pass. I love that quote. Whatever you vividly imagine, so not just imagining, but vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, that's faith, isn't it? And enthusiastically act on, must inevitably come to pass. It's quite powerful sometimes when I'm helping people in their visioneering process, I say to them, okay, imagine a house you would want one day, maybe it's some mansion of sorts, okay? And they of course start imagining that, but I like to then add a number of things because we wanna make the picture vivid, So I say, where will it be? How many rooms will it have? What color are the walls? Is it in an estate? Is it a standalone house? And it's amazing how you can literally just spend hours going into the details of that picture of a preferred future. The sad thing is many people have been wounded in the realm of their imagination, right? They've been wounded. Your imagination is a part of your soul, isn't it? Right? And a lot of people have been wounded in their souls, And so they've stopped dreaming. You'll find some people will say, I don't want to hope anymore in case I get 
disappointed. And the Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Have you stopped dreaming? When you dream, how much detail do you go into? Your brain needs you to go into a lot of detail when it comes to dreaming. See, your vision is a compelling picture of a preferred future. If you were to take a photo of your future life now, what would it look like? What do you want to be recognized for one day? Just think about that. And I want to encourage you, don't just have a vision for your finances or your career. Have a vision for the, the type of father you want to be or mom you want to be. What are you doing with your kids, right, in that future date? How is your conversation with your spouse in that future date? Make sure it's vivid. You see, many people have some kind of vision, but their downfall is that it's not vivid. It lacks clarity. And I believe that to accomplish great things in life, you need others to come alongside you. In order to enroll others, you must have a compelling vision. It's so important. If you look at some of the great organizations that have been uh, created in the last couple of decades, great visionaries, great visionaries, and they were able to sell that particular vision. I believe that we need to do that as leaders. We need to do that as leaders over our families to paint that picture. Now, if you tell me that, Paul, I'm a leader, the first thing I will ask you is where are you going? In other words, your vision. <clears throat> and the second thing I'm going to ask you is who's following you? See, if your vision is misty in your mind, it'll be foggy in the minds of those following you. Do you have a God-sized vision for your life? Do you have a vision for all aspects of your life, including family, social, recreational? Or is your vision just limited to finance and career? These are things for us to think about. <clears throat> you know, this is one of the unique features of being human. We can aspire. And I always say this, as human beings, we can aspire, we can dream, we can decide, this is my five-year plan. This is what I want next year to look like. Last time I checked, my great Dane dog didn't come to me and say, oh, here's my five-year plan. Animals can't do that. God has blessed us with the gift of imagination. We can visualize a preferred future. How do you want to look in the next two years? What do you want your physical body to look like in the next two years? We can use our imagination to God's glory. And it's so important to do so. Now I've learned that there are many barriers to visioneering that need to be overcome. Many people are too afraid to dream. They've been wounded in life and they don't want to be hurt by more disappointments. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're afraid to hope. Now, in God's dealings with the patriarchs in scripture, you see that God is a God of hope and he would always instill vision into their hearts. He would say, hey, Abraham, come, you know, can you just count the stars? You see, you can't really count them, but I'm going to give you descendants that you actually can't count because there'll be so many. He, he used picture, he used vision, right, for them to actually remember what he had said to them. It's so important. And just remember, we remember in pictures. So that's why it's good to have a vision board. It's good to draw what your future is gonna look like, right? 
I think it's so powerful when you see how God dealt with these patriarchs and instilled vision into them. And I believe he's calling us to do the same. He wants to take us on that same journey. Yet often he tries to do so and we think, oh, it's just me. Oh, it's just my thoughts. Some people struggle to write down a vision simply because they feel trapped by it. You know, if you're that type of personality, oh, at the moment something is in writing, then I'm trapped and I can't change, right? They think that, you know, it can't, it's now the law of uh, the Medes and the Persians that cannot be altered. No, your vision can change. It can be tweaked. So don't feel like just because you've now written it out, you're trapped. Other people resist the visioneering process because they think it's too pie in the sky and it's not realistic. Others believe, let's just get into the action. We don't need to write down anything. So it's so important to be grounded in biblical theology with regards to vision. So first scripture I want to share with you is Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Some translations say vision. And make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Now, although the context here might be a spiritual vision, the principle is actually the same, right? The principle is the same. The moment that revelation of your future, that picture of a preferred future is written down. There's an accountability, isn't there? There's the power of being able to go back to it and review it. And it brings about clarity so that people can actually run with the message and say, this is the vision, this is the vision, this is the vision. And that's one of the things successful people do. When you interact with them, the vision is very clear. It's not hazy. And all the people who are supporting that vision are clear and they're aligned with regards to what the vision actually is. Do you have a vision for your family? Is it clear? Do you have a vision for your church or the department that you're leading? Is it clear? Maybe you own a business. Do you have a vision for it? Is it clear? If I was to ask one of your subordinates at work or a junior person uh, to tell me the vision, will they know it? You see, is it shared? And that's so important. So important. Uh, And you know, this scripture shows me that when we make a vision plain, we are more likely to run with it. It's so important to embed your vision with a healthy view of God. If you don't see God as a God who's good, then your vision can be skewed. Look at Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Isn't that awesome? When I know that those are God's plans for me, when I now am seeking his face concerning my life vision, it has to be aligned with his heart for me, right? It's also so important to understand that God must be the source of our vision because it's possible to have something else or someone else as the source of your vision, okay? There's some visions that are demonically inspired. That's how certain cults start. In Jeremiah 23, verse 16, it says, His is what the Lord, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen 
to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. So as a believer, when we talk about personal mastery God's way, we want to have a vision that's from the Lord, not from our own minds. We don't want to just come up with our own thing and say, this is what I want to do in life. Yes, you can do it and you can run with it. But when it comes from the Lord, you know that he backs it with his resources. And that's why we cannot separate the visioneering process with the process of seeking God's face and waiting on the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that awesome? So my question to you is, is your vision similar to this that the scripture has just described? Or are you just doing more of the same and you're playing it safe, right? Because the thing that God is about to do, he wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a fresh thing. He hasn't called you to just do more of the same. Is your vision a God-sized vision? This is so important. How audacious is your vision? Do you have a sense of, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Because if that's how you're feeling, it's probably a God vision, okay? There are times where we just go with the flow and we do more of what's already happening. Here's some examples of great vision and mission statements that some companies have come up with. And I wanted to inspire you. I wanted to inspire you concerning your own personal life vision. I've seen families who've come up with powerful mission statements for their households. Do you know which one this is? and which organization this is, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. That's Starbucks' mission statement, okay? Um, and, and their vision statement is an interesting one. To establish Starbucks as the premier purveyor of the finest coffee in the world while maintaining our uncompromising principles while we grow. I think that's beautiful. Joseph A. Micheli, author of Leading the Starbucks Way, writes that Starbucks' success is largely a result of its ability to create an emotional tie with customers. Such engagement starts with the store's homey, intimate atmospheres. This is at the heart of the company's mission. Ultimately, according to many business experts, Starbucks is a perfect example of a company that has grown by sticking with its mission, no matter how lofty it is. That's powerful. <clears throat> now, the Google one. Google's official mission or vision statement is to organize all of the data in the world and to make it accessible for everyone in a useful way. Right? And Google also has an unofficial motto to avoid being evil. <laughs> okay. Can you guess which vision statements these are for? Um, a just world without poverty. That's Oxfam. Remember, vision is a clear picture, vivid picture of a preferred future. Okay. What about this one? To be the Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. That's Amazon, okay? This is an interesting one. Um, 
in the 1970s, this was their drive. We will destroy Yamaha. Okay. But in 2022, this is their vision. Serve people worldwide with the joy of expanding their life's potential. That's Honda. Okay. In the 1960s, this was possibly their drive. Crush Adidas. In 2022, to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And the co-founder of this organization actually explained that their definition of athlete is anyone with a body. Okay. <clears throat> so that's Nike. What about this one? To create the most compelling car company of the 21st century by driving the world's transition to electric vehicles. And that's Tesla. So organizations are doing it. But we are believers and God can give us a God-sized vision for our churches, for our businesses, for our organizations, whatever kind of organization it is, for our families. But are we taking the time to seek his face and come up with powerful vision statements and remain aligned to them? The fifth thing that successful people do differently, successful people have clear written goals with action plans. You know, <clears throat> some years ago, and you might have heard different versions of this story, but some years ago, it was 1953, in a graduate class, they were asked the question, how many of you have written down goals with action plans? And only three hands went up. 20 years later, they interviewed that same group of people and they found something interesting. They found that those three people who had written down their goals with action plans were generally happy and more fulfilled than the balance of the class. Now you might say to me, but Paul, how do you measure happiness? Well, there's something you can measure and that's net worth. And it was interesting because they found that the net worth of those three people who had written down their goals with action plans was greater than the combined net worth of the balance of the class. There's something about writing down your goals and linking those clear goals with action plans. I like what Paul J. Mayer said about goals. If you're not making the progress that you would like to make and are capable of making, it's simply because your goals are not clearly defined. What I often say to people is that a goal is a dream with a deadline. If someone comes to me and says, Paul, I want to lose weight this year, that's just a wish and it probably won't happen. But if they come to me and they say, Paul, this is my ideal weight. Therefore, by June 2023, I need to have lost seven kgs. I'm enlisting Tracy to be my personal trainer. And I'm also getting Dillian to be my dietitian. And I'm going to make myself accountable to you, Paul. Then I know that that person is likely to get results. And that's what we mean when we talk about goals linked to an action plan. Don't just dream. Don't just have a vision. Translate your vision into goals. <clears throat> it's so important. It's so crucial. You know that it's been found that when you write down your goals, you're 10 times more likely to accomplish them than when these goals just left in your head. And if you're a bit like me, I often will have something written down here, something written down there, 
I've got something in my head and I'm trying to remember, yeah, what was it? And I con myself into thinking that, yes, it's there, it's in my heart, but nothing beats having a formal document where you've actually written it all out. You see, when you set goals, it actually helps you to be more conscious of what you desire. This is so important. And goals are so powerful when they're mixed with plans and habits. You see, when you set goals, you actually block out what's unimportant using a section of the brain called the reticular membrane, right? And this is seen when you first take note of a particular vehicle. I'll give you an example. Some years ago, a friend of mine, Grant, he sold his old BMW and he purchased a Nissan Juke. And he said to me, Paul, I've now bought a Nissan Juke. And at that time, I didn't know what a Nissan Juke looked like. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know exactly what it looked like. And so he says, come and see my vehicle. So I go downstairs and I see his Nissan Juke. And I see that, oh, it's this car, right? It looks cute. It's kind of got that bullfrog look. When you open the back doors, it's kind of by the window section. And I see that, oh, it's actually quite a powerful vehicle. And I see, like, oh, okay, great, good for him, right? What happened next few weeks after that? I was seeing Nissan Jukes everywhere. I remember seeing one on a flatbed that had been involved in an accident. I remember seeing one that was a pinkish, purplish color. I thought, ooh, they also come in this color. What was going on? My reticular activator in my brain, right, had been programmed now to notice Nissan Jukes, right? I had sent a message to my brain that Nissan Jukes are important and that's why I was noticing them. You see it happening when you purchase a vehicle, right? Then you start noticing everyone else has got the same vehicle. Other people don't notice because it's not important to them. You also see this phenomenon when someone says out your name, they might be calling another Paul, for example, right? It could be at a function or something, but then you've been programmed, right, to respond to that name. You can't hear everything else everyone is talking about. It's a big blur, right? At that particular function, you're all having your conversations, but you tend to notice certain things. And the thing about the reticular activator, it's not fully developed in babies. And that's why when you take a baby out to the mall or to a concert, when you then try and get them to sleep afterwards, they struggle. And what do we say? My child is overstimulated because their reticular membrane doesn't function uh, like it would as they get a bit older, right? As you get a bit older, your reticular membrane blocks out the unimportant information. We call it a scotoma. It's a Greek word, just speaks of to block out, right? Scotoma blocks out the unimportant information and gets you to focus on what's important. And that's what goal setting does. You know, I like to sometimes start off my day, start off my month thinking of things like, I'll say to myself, I'm really grateful that I'm always meeting influential people that are taking my career to its next level. So guess what I'm looking out for? Those people. And that senior stakeholder might cross my path and I notice it as a good thing. Yes, this is an opportunity. But someone who hasn't programmed their minds with that goal, they'll see that same senior stakeholder and they want to run away from the person. I haven't yet responded to his email. I'm going to get into trouble. That's the power of goal setting. That's the power of goal setting. You know, if I say to you, please, I'm looking for my nephew, I'm looking for um, a red tricycle with yellow handlebars. Have you seen any? You'll probably say, 
No, I, I, I haven't. I'm sure they're there in the mall somewhere, but I haven't noticed anything because you haven't been looking for it. It was scotomed out, all right? Uh, but if I say, can you just remember that, please, over the weekend, uh, don't go out of your way, but can you just remember that? Guess what will happen? You'll walk through the mall and wherever you look, you just see these red tricycles with yellow handlebars. And that's what goal setting is like. <clears throat> and it's important to understand this. Now, here's some powerful verses on goal setting and planning. Because there's some people who think, no, 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 it's not biblical to set goals. Just let God do what he wants to do in your life. That's not, that's not correct. Look in scripture, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 20, verse 4. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Isn't that a powerful blessing? So there's nothing wrong with planning. To plan is to prepare the details beforehand. That's what planning is, right? So as you come up with that action plan, you're preparing the details beforehand. You've got your wonderful vision, and now you're breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. In the book of Psalms 33 verse 11, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Isn't that beautiful? So I must now find out what his plans are, and then I must translate those plans and those purposes into my life and set goals and action plans from that, right? What, how will his, his purposes, his eternal purposes look in my everyday life? Again, in Psalms 37, verse 4 to 5, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that powerful? Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now, He's got nothing to establish if you don't have any plans. In Proverbs 16, verse 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 19, verse 21, many are the plans in, the per, in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So I want my plans to be aligned with his purpose. In Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Right? What's the diligent? The hardworking. The person with a bias toward action. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So planning slows you down initially. But it's emphasizing that we need to actually plan and then be diligent instead of just hastily doing things because that leads to poverty. You know, having clear goals helps you to remain focus, focused and successful people are focused people. I recently completed a book on focus by Thibaut uh, Maurice, powerful book, and he explains that there are actually three levels of focus. The first level is short-term focus, which speaks of concentration. So on a daily basis, I need to be concentrating, but I must make sure the things I concentrate on are aligned with my ultimate vision. Because you can have great concentration skills, but they're not aligned with your vision. 
The second level of focus is midterm focus, sometimes called transitional focus, and that's to do with your routine and your schedule. So whatever you're focused on in life, translate it into a routine and a schedule, then you know it will happen. And you see, we've got different gaps. For some of you, you struggle when it comes to concentrating. For some of you, you struggle to create a routine because you feel trapped by it. In our household, we found that when we've got a routine, when we've got a schedule, things happen. And then when it comes to the third level of focus, it's long-term focus, which is vision, right? Now, it's important for us to make sure that our goals and our action plans are aligned with short-term focus, concentration, mid-term focus, routine and schedule, and long-term focus, vision. It's important to ask yourself on a daily basis, is what I'm doing today helping me to achieve my vision? See, the things I concentrate on must be linked to the bigger picture. Someone once said, the secret to greatness is hidden in your daily routine. If, if there's someone you admire out there, don't just judge them based on their peaks and don't just ask them questions based on that one breakthrough they had. Try to study their daily routine. That's the secret to their greatness. I believe that we become more effective when we create routines and schedules that actually reflect our vision. The sixth thing that successful people do differently that successful people create culture. Your culture is your values, your norms, and your beliefs. And there are many organizations today where people have got wonderful goals, wonderful visions and missions, but they don't see it translating to lasting change because they don't know how to create culture. I believe that successful people create culture, and it's a culture that is embedded in their vision and their values. And that's why there's that book, isn't there? That culture just eats strategy. You can have a wonderful strategy, but if you don't create the right culture, then you'll have problems. Look how Paul the Apostle created culture. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17, it says, For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life. That's culture, right? My way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I believe that one of Paul the Apostle's greatest strengths was he had mastered the art of creating culture, right? You know, great leaders have a way. I always say this when I'm teaching on leadership. Great leaders have a way and great organizations have a strong culture. For example, there's the GE way. There's the Coca-Cola way. There's the McDonald's way. It's very distinct and they're very strict about their way. <clears throat> These companies have been successful because they were led by people who were clear about the culture they wanted to create. Are you clear about the culture you want to create in your family, in your church, in your business? Are you clear about what you believe and why and what you don't believe and why? Are you clear about what you stand for? Can I come to you and I know after a few minutes of talking to you, this is what you stand for. These are the non-negotiables. These are the negotiables. I remember some years ago, I was coaching an individual uh, leader in, a, in an organization. And he was a business unit manager, I think, at the time. 
and we were about to do a team intervention for his team. And I said to him, Zweli, you have to communicate to your team Zweli's way. And Zweli said, uh, Paul, I didn't know I had a way. And I said, I will help you to figure out what your way is. And I went on to say to him, the people you don't like working with, the people you would love to manage out of your business, what are their qualities? And he said a number of things, you know, they pitch up late for things, they pretend they're clued up and they're not actually, he mentioned a number of things. And I said, what about the people you want to promote, the people you are energized by when you work with them? And he says, oh, Paul, they're proactive, they're this, they're this, they're this. And I said, you've just shown me Zweli's way. And we had a powerful moment with his team a few days later. And he said, I didn't know I had a way, but Paul has shown me that I've got a way. And guys, if you want us to always be at loggerheads with each other, do the following. And he shared that list. If you want things to go well as we work together, do the following. And he shared the list. And when you do that as a leader, people then feel settled because it's almost like you're giving them the marking rub rubric. They now know this is how my performance is going to be measured. I want to show you how you create culture. You create culture by what you teach. If in your family you want a culture of good manners, you have to teach your children what good manners look like. You have to even give them scripts. This is what you say to a teacher. This is how you greet your uncle, right? We have to teach it. If you're leading a team at work and you want a team culture, it's crucial to teach. This is the team. These are the qualities of a good team, right? <clears throat> culture is also created by what's modeled. People don't do what they hear you say. Essentially, people will do what they see you do. And so just make sure whatever culture you're trying to create, that you're modeling it yourself. All right. Um, one lady I know likes to talk about how her husband doesn't always practice what he preaches. He'll complain and um, maybe shout at his kids for not tidying up after themselves. But after he's worked in the kitchen, he might not do the same, right? <clears throat> we have to model the culture we want to create. Culture is also created by what you reward. In many places, they're trying to create a team culture, but they only reward individuals. Ask yourself, what do I need to be rewarding in order to create the culture that I want? Culture is also created by what you measure. If you're not measuring certain things, it won't happen. If you say, my vision for my organization is for us to really have great customer interaction and satisfaction. I'm gonna ask you, well, when was your last survey, right? You have to measure it if you want to get it. Culture is also created by what you inspect. You don't just get what you expect, you will get what you inspect, right? Many people are privileged to have helpers at home but if you say to, and I'm talking obviously in Southern Africa here, right? But if you say to your helper, I would like you to dust the furniture every day. Will it happen every single day the way you want it according to that standard? Probably not. But if you inspect and then you give them feedback on day one, then you inspect again day two, then you inspect again day three, you probably don't have to keep inspecting. Why? When you're inspecting something, you're showing someone that this is what's important to me. This is what I pay attention to. 
you get what you inspect. What do you need to be inspecting in order to create a culture? Culture is also created by what's punished. That sounds a bit negative, but if you look at your family, what's considered a big no-no at home? If people don't experience the consequences of doing the opposite of the culture you're trying to create, you'll never create that culture. Culture is created by what's celebrated. If you want to create a culture of belonging, celebrate birthdays. You know, when you celebrate a birthday, it's the only time you're celebrating someone for just existing. You know, yesterday you gave them a bad performance review. Today, you're singing, she's a jolly good fellow, she's a jolly good fellow. And you are giving them some cake, free cake. All right? <clears throat> Creates a sense of belonging. Culture is also created by how you as a leader react to a crisis. Your family is watching you. People who report to you at work are watching you. And they're not watching you just when things go well. They're watching you when you're stressed out. They're watching you when things are not going well. And you create culture that way. What does he do? Who does he run to? You know, it's so important to be authentic about creating culture. Someone once said, consciously I teach what I know. Unconsciously I pass on who I am. So whatever culture you're trying to create around you and the work that you do in order to be successful, just remember that you can teach it, you can preach it, but ultimately you pass on who you are. So you know what? We need to work on our insides to make sure we genuinely are those things that we are trying to pass on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're teaching us. I pray for an activation right now in those who've listened to this message, an activation of these visioneering themes. I pray that you take us to another level, Lord, of vision and that you ignite your vision into our hearts. Father, may you take us to a place, Lord, where we translate that vision into goals and action plans that honor you. Help us, Lord, as we work on routines and scheduling in a way that honors you. Father, do a deep work in us, Lord, that we are those people, Lord, who are action-orientated, who have a bias toward action. May we be those people, Lord, who know the culture-embedding mechanisms and who understand how to create culture. We ask for your assistance, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you as you go from here. <clears throat> Next week we'll be looking at time management, purpose management, it's important to know how to translate all of these things into our use of time. You know, often people will ask me, Paul, how are you so productive? How do you do all the things that you do? And the key thing I say to them is, it's how I use my time. And so we'll be talking about that. God bless you.